Mark 7. Uh, last week we had family dedication service and kind of took time off from our series through Mark. And so now for the next couple of weeks we're going to dive back into it. Uh, we pick up in chapter 7. Uh, this is taking a turn in Mark where we're now we're going to start to see him, uh, him being Jesus. See him uh, in, interact with a different kind of group of people. More and more he's going to get hostile with, uh, with the religious leaders. So a lot of what we've seen him so far is him kind of working his way into, through different villages and, and towns on the, in the countryside in, uh, in Galilee and teaching and working miracles and discipling his disciples. And now we have a confrontation with the Pharisees, which is something that we will see from time to time. Uh, Jesus was, Jesus was uh, he was ruffling some feathers. And they were trying to kind of put a stop to his popularity because he was a threat to to them. And so let's just let me just read the story, and then we'll uh, kind of get into a little bit of the details. Starting in verse one, chapter seven. Now, when the Pharisees gathered, uh, when the Pharisees gathered to him with some of the scribes who'd come from Jerusalem, they saw that some of his disciples are with hands that were defiled. That is unwashed. For the Pharisees and all the Jews did not eat unless they washed their hands properly, holding to the tradition of the elders. And when they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash. And there are many other traditions that they observe, such as the washing of cups and pots and copper vessels and uh, dining couches. And the Pharisees and the scribes asked him, Why do your disciples not walk according to the tradition of the elders, but eat with defiled hands? And he said to them, Well did Isaiah prophesy of you, hypocrites, as it is written, This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. You leave the commandment of God and hold to the tradition of men. And he said to them, you have a fine way of rejecting the commandment of God in order to establish your tradition. For Moses said, honor your father and your mother, and whoever reviles father or mother must surely die. But you say, if a man tells his father or his mother, whatever you would have gained from me is Corban, that is given to God, then you no longer permit him to do anything for his father or mother. Thus making void the word of God by your tradition that you've handed down. And many such things you do. Okay. Here's here's the, the thing. Jesus is really tough on the religious leaders. This text shows us part of why. It isn't the most exciting story about Jesus in, you know, in, in, Things, but it is one that is quite profound, especially uh, if we kind of just let the text speak to us a little bit. He was rough on the re- religious leaders because they were misleading the people of God. And through that misleading, there was this culture being created that had left the truth of God uh, behind in favor of tradition of men. And so while this is largely like a word of correction for those religious leaders, we have a lot we can learn as well. And so the big picture that that we see here is is that there's a connection between the internal life and the external life. There's a connection between what's going on in our hearts and and our minds. Connection between that and what we are doing, like our 
our actions, our tasks, our, um, our religious rhythms and practices and, and things like that, that there is supposed to be a connection between them, that what we do is supposed to come from within, um, not be separate from what is within. And what was happening is the Pharisees were telling the people, just they were focusing on the external things, on the actions, on do all these things, whatever, and it doesn't, kind of doesn't matter what's going on inside your heart. That was the case for them, and they were teaching the people this, and it had, was creating this culture that was just focused on behavior and not focused on the heart like God wants. And so uh, Jesus takes this opportunity to kind of not really answer their question, but to get down to the heart of it. So let me, let's, I want to look at his two main focal points and kind of see what we can learn from there along these lines. The first, the first one is that all traditions should be rooted in the commandments of God. A couple of times he, he says that you've, you've forsaken the commandment of God in, in favor of the tradition of, of man. Uh, another way of saying it would be that, that the actions and the attitudes and the rhythms and practices of the people of God um, must be rooted in the truth of God's word. It, it, Everything that we're doing has to come from the truth of God's word. They cannot be disconnected. So we can't just do things to do them and then ignore what God's word has to say about that. It has to come from truth and not be separate from it. So we always have to ask ourselves, in everything that we are doing as individual Christians, as married couples, as groups of friends, as families, as community groups, as a, like as uh, in, in counter classes, equipping classes, in ministry teams, in the our church, in really should be the the big capital C church as well. We have to ask ourselves: What does God's word say about this this thing that we're doing? What does what does God's word have to say about this particular situation and how to handle it? What does God's word have to say about what my attitude should be? toward this, uh, this situation, this person, this uh, issue, whatever it is, we have to really come back to the scriptures and that has to be the starting point for everything that we do. That's a part of what Jesus is, is telling them. So we have to ask ourselves, what does God's word say? Now, sometimes God's word is very, he, is, he like explicitly addresses things, you know? For example, like he tells us to pray, he tells us to serve. He tells us to study the word. He tells us to, to tithe. Like he tells us, like these are very specific practices that you are to have. Uh, these are very specific attitudes that God addresses in the scriptures. That you are to be patient with those who are struggling. That you are to have compassion with those in distress. That you are to forgive those who hurt you. Like he like directly addresses those things. So we don't have to wonder about the stuff that is directly there. Like, should I forgive this person? Yes. Should I have compassion in this situation? Yes. Should I pray? Yes. Then there are other things that are not quite as explicit. It's more, I don't want to say implicit, but, but it's more about the principles of God's word that we apply to situations. So he tells us to love our neighbor as, as though our neighbor was a part of our own family. But how that actually like fleshes out in real life, it, it's, it's not like this one behavior that we do. And so we have to take the principles of God's word. We look at the examples that he gives us of what it looks like to love people. Um, there are just, there, so there are some things that he's really detailed on, some things where it's more about the, the principles of his word. We don't know, uh, there's nowhere in the Bible that you turn that tells you how to set up a church budget. Like we, it's not there. I wish that it was, because it's tough. 
So we have to go to the principles of his word of, of a church budget. We don't know how to, there's nowhere, no magic chapter about how to, like a church staff. Like that's kind of something that has evolved over time. So does it mean that we don't have a church staff or does it mean that there are principles of his word that show us how to structure the church? You know, that's, that's what it is. Even the church calendar, we're, we're like a month away from Advent starting and there are people who, who like to push against the church calendar because it isn't in the Bible. And yeah, it's, it's not explicitly there, but we do see God giving order to the year of Israel we do see, see God telling us to be ordered and to be structured. And so the early church fathers took, took a year and they said, we want to give appropriate amount of time to each of these like theological doctrinal things. And so the church calendar is not against the Bible, it, but it's drawn, like, it's drawn from principles that are within the Bible. So all that to say, whatever we're doing, whether it's programs in the church or individual inter- interactions with, with people and situations, the truth of what God's word says about it, what the Bible says about it, is that's the starting point. It can't be, well, we've always handled it this way, and I've heard it, I read about this on a blog somewhere, that this church handled it this way. We have to always come down and ask ourselves that. So, okay, so look, look at verse 8. Jesus tells this group of religious leaders that they've abandoned God's word in favor of establishing their own traditions. So it isn't, he's not getting onto them about the traditions necessarily. It's because some of them were probably good and some of them were probably not good. But he's saying, but your traditions are not coming from God's word into practical life. Your traditions and God's word are, are now separate. So look at verse eight. He says, you leave the commandment of God and hold to the tradition of men. He said, you have a fine way of rejecting the commandment of God in order to establish your tradition. And this must not be the case. For the people of God, that's me. Sorry, that's my notes. This can't be the case for the people of God. We we cannot separate uh, our actions and our attitudes and our rhythms and our traditions and all these kinds of things. We can't separate it from God's word. God's word is the starting point for those things. So his examples here of how those are connected. Uh, look at one through five. Let me read, let me read that again. It was all about hand washing. The Pharisees gathered to him, this is verse 1, with some of the scribes who'd come from Jerusalem. They saw some of his disciples ate with hands that were defiled, that is, unwashed. Now, some of you are already grossed out at this. That's okay. You can get your Purell out as you read it if you want. Um, For the Pharisees and all all the Jews did not eat unless they washed their hands properly, holding to the tradition of the elders... Okay? Not the, not the scriptures, holding to the tradition of the elders. And when they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash. Many other traditions that they observe, such as the washing of cups and pots and copper vessels and dining couches. And so they want to know, like, hey, how come your disciples aren't, aren't following the rules? And Jesus says, well, that's not the rule. You, you made up a rule. If you were, don't, you don't need to turn to it, but in, in Exodus chapter 30, we see the, the actual thing that they are referencing. And here's where it started, is that the priests had to go through a very specific hand washing and foot washing process before they would conduct their, their like priestly um, duties in the, in the tabernacle or in the temple. That's where it started. It was just for the priests and it was just whenever they were about to like to, to do those sacred things. Now, the, the, over time, what had happened is, well, they would say, well, we don't want the priest to break that law. So 
they just kept adding on more and more and more things. So maybe, maybe it was like the priests, then it was like, well, maybe the priests shouldn't do anything without washing their hands and their feet first. And then it was like, yeah, but what if, a, what if someone enters into the room? Then does the room become undefiled? And so maybe they just kept adding and adding and adding and adding. And now you're so distant from Exodus 30, you're in this situation where it's like, no, the tradition is you have to wash your hands. Now to us, in our day and age, we're like, no, I make, we should wash our hands. We should be pro-hand washing, right? Like, yes, pro-hand washing, Absolutely. But what Jesus was saying is, you are imposing this on the people as though that is what Moses said in Exodus 30, when that's not what he said. You have created your own man-driven tradition that you are imposing on the people, and you're passing it off as doctrine, and it isn't. And you can't do that. You're the, you're the leaders. You're the, you're the Pharisees and the scribes. You're the leaders. You can't do that. So, he tells them to their face, they can't do that. So the, the incorrect way would be what they were doing. The correct way would, to, to handle this, to connect the, like God's word to the action, would be to go back to what the Bible actually says. And say the Pharisees are required to do this. Maybe we should all do it. But they're the ones that are required to do it. Okay, So that's, the, that's a part of what he's getting onto them about. Um, here's a, the, the other one that he jumps to. Look at verse 10. Or what's called Corbin laws. Um, so look at verse 10. Moses said, honor your father and your mother. And whoever reviles father and mother must surely die. Now, here, here, here is kind of what that looked like. It meant that you were responsible for your parents' care all the way to the end of their lives. And you would set aside money to prepare for whatever care they needed after they stopped working. So as a, as a son or daughter, you were, you were your, your parents' retirement. You were their 401k. And so you would begin to save money that would take care of them all the way into the very end of their lives. That was a part of what it meant to honor your father and mother. And if, if you did that, it was, it was bad news. If you didn't do that, it was bad news. So that is what Moses actually said. That is what they were supposed to be doing. Now look at verse 11. Says, but you say, if a man tells his father or mother, whatever you would have gained from me is Corban that is given to God, then you no longer permit him to do anything for his father or mother. So the, going from the original policy, rule, mandate, whatever you want to call it, privilege really, to care for your parents... The Pharisees had figured out, like, man, there's a lot of money that could be coming to the temple that's actually going to take care of these parents. And some of them could probably be convinced to reroute that money. So the Pharisees, at some point, came up with this, this Corbin law, where if something, instead of being devoted to your parents' care, it could be devoted to God. Like, if it's devoted to God, it would trump the other stuff. And so, uh, like, so they're like, you can just send it to us, and then everything's okay, God's okay with it. And they begin to convince people, don't worry, but you're, don't take care of your parents. Like, they're, they're jerks, man. Like, they don't deserve all that. The temple, God's work, like, we're, we really need the money, you know. And so they created this loophole that people were following through on. And so Jesus, they noticed, they, didn't, they brought up hand washing. They didn't bring this one up. Jesus was like, while we're on the subject, let's talk about the money. 
let's talk about how you're deceiving the, like, the people of God and you're creating a culture that gets away from what God actually said to do, which is to honor your, your parents. That's, that's in the top 10, okay? And they had found a loophole to get out of it. So he corrects this within them. So here are just two examples of how human tradition like distances them from like the truth of what God is saying. Okay. So what does that have to do with us? Um, we have to be careful folks. Like we, we, the, the global church, we, the American church, we, the Southern American church, we living hope fellowship, Sherwood. We have to be careful that everything we're doing is rooted in what God says. Let me give you two, two quick, real quick examples um, of, of how what God is saying, either explicitly or in principle, can be, like, needs to be primary and human tradition needs to be secondary. When I, like, I grew up in a Southern Baptist church and there was kind of like this unspoken rule against wearing jeans to church. You would never wear jeans to church. And the reason why I say it was, uh, it, it, wasn't, it was not entirely unspoken because when someone would wear jeans to church, you would hear people talking about it. And so it became this thing where you have to wear, like, it's your Sunday best. And the, the presented idea was, you have to give, we need to give God our best. We need to give God our best, which I support that. And if someone wants to dress nicely, if someone wants to wear a suit every single week to church, I have no issue with that. So don't hear me saying, don't dress up. But the culture became, we look down on you if you dress down. And so there are people who, to this day, do not feel comfortable walking into a church building because maybe they never had something nice. Or whatever, it could be a bunch of reasons. So there's a, uh, there's a tradition of man that I kind of grew up in this culture, and I promise you my pastor never talked about it. He never told him that. Wasn't in the Bible, but it kind of just like oozed into the, into the community somehow, and it was kind of this understanding. That's a tradition of man that we, we cannot hold to, because the principles of God's word speak very clearly about hospitality. God's word speaks very clearly about uh, not obsessing over external adornment, but it's, a, it's about the, the work of the heart. That God is all, it says man, man is driven by appearance, outward appearance, but I'm looking at the heart. And so you wear whatever you want. That's where we should be. So if that is jeans or if that is a three-piece suit or, or a tux, you know, why not? You, you are well, like people are welcome here. That's where, that's where a passage like this has to come into play where we recognize like, yeah, we kind of have created some rules when really they have, they're not, if they aren't founded in scripture, then they, they really aren't rules for us. Another one, um, when I was in, when I was in college or actually, so growing up, like for some, somehow along the way, I picked up on the, this idea that if you smoke cigarettes, you are not a Christian. I don't know where that happened. Again, my pastor didn't teach me that. My parents didn't teach me that. Somewhere, maybe I learned on the school bus. I don't know. But somewhere I learned in my head that those two things are like, that they don't go together. 
It confused me so much when I would see like deacons at the church. I was like smoking on the front steps. Like it just blew my mind. I couldn't understand how that worked together. And I just, I didn't think it was safe to ask. So I was just confused for a long time. When I was in college, um, I started uh, going to the BCM and kind of got involved in leading worship and different things. And um, there's a guy playing drums with us who, who was a smoker. And this girl comes up to me one day. I got to hurry up. All right. This girl comes up to me one day, a fellow college student, and she says, I need to talk to you. And it wasn't Ashley, by the way. I went to college with Ashley. I only say that because I think some of you are like, who's he talking about? It wasn't Ashley. Um, but she was much shorter than me. So uh, that's why I say it wasn't Ashley. So she was much shorter than me. And she looks up at me and she's like, I got to talk to you. And I said, okay. And she said, did you know that our drummer smokes? And she said it just like, like it was like two syllables, like S-U-H dash M-O-K-S, smokes. <laughs> and uh, I was like, yeah, I, I know that. And she was like, I saw him in the quad smoking. <laughs> and she was looking up at me and I can still just vision it. I was like, okay. And she said, I have a big problem with our drummer who plays at our at Thursday night service and, you know, travels with y'all and does all this stuff that he's a smoker. He is representing us. And like, she just went, she went off. And I've had plenty of like George Costanza moments in my life where I've thought of the perfect response like half an hour later. But this was one time I was dialed in and, uh, she kind of, she went on her rant. She was just at me and I said, uh, so do you know his name? Nailed it. <laughs> like, do you know his name? She's like, no. I said, he's played it for two years. You don't know his name? She said, no. And I said, well, won't you, next time you see him smoking, go ask him his name and get to know him. Then we'll have a conversation about this. There, there are things that we have created as human tradition that have no basis in God's word. We have a list of behaviors in our head a lot of times. Of good Christians do these things and they don't do these things. And if, if you end up on getting those lists mixed up, then guess what? You're a bad Christian or maybe you're not even a Christian at all. Jesus rails against that here. Now, whether it's wearing jeans to church or smoking or whatever these kind of like things, those are just two examples from my, like my upbringing, okay? We, that's not what it looks like to be the people of God. The people of God uh, are driven by love and grace and compassion and mercy and all the things that we see Jesus doing. And they're not driven by rules. They don't live by, by our, our traditions and by our standards that we have imposed on people. It, has, it starts with God's word. And so everything that we do has to trace back to find its origins, either explicitly here or the principles are here. And if we can't do that, then we have to let go of that tradition. We have to put it in the category of preference or opinion or whatever. But we can't look at people and impose this on them. Now, this is, I'm not bringing this correctively to you. Okay, I'm not... I think that there are times when pastorally we have to say, hey guys, I think we're going down the wrong, wrong lane here. I don't think that that's the case for us. So I say, bring that much to the table to say two things. One, uh, if, 
if you have kind of always like been frustrated with the with like Christianity's tendency to treat traditions of men as equal with the Bible, if not weighing more, if that's always just felt wrong to you, then be encouraged to know that Jesus agrees with you. Or you agree with him. Be encouraged to know that, that this is a part of who he is making us into more and more and more. That we let go of the traditions and, and opinions and all that kind of stuff and we just say, if it isn't here in God's word, then, then, then it is in a different category. And that everything we do needs to find its origin here. And if we can't find its origin here, then we need to like, address it. So I want you to be encouraged, uh, especially if you're here this morning and you're kind of like, yeah, I like Jesus, but I don't like the church. I understand that. But Jesus loves the church. He loves the church enough to tell her stuff like this, to, to, to lovingly and gently correct us in the right direction. And so I think this is an affirming word from the Lord. I think this is an encouragement to us because he's given us the book. Like he said, I've given it to you. You don't have to wonder. I've given you everything you need for life and godliness. Now, we don't worship the Bible, of course, but it does point us to the one that we do worship. So that's the, that's the first point. The second point would be faster. The first point is that our traditions, okay, our, our actions, our attitudes, our rhythms, our, everything that we're doing has to be rooted in the truth that God tells us through the scriptures. And if, as a part of this church, if you think we're doing something that, or that is not the case, then bring it. Like, we, we got to talk about it. We got to figure it out. Okay? Second thing is this, is that our worship should be rooted in the heart. Verse, he quotes Isaiah in verse 6. And Jesus, is, he's just the best responder because he quotes something to them that they would have known. Like they would have known this scripture. They would have never thought that it applied to them. And Jesus is saying, actually Isaiah was, he was talking about certain things at that time. He's also talking about you guys. And that would have cut to the heart a little bit. Look at verse 6. Well did, well did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites. As it is written, this people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. So some of that is what I've just been talking about. But then there's kind of another, another thing. It's, it's similar, though. Um, it's, if, our, if all the rhythms of the church need to come from God's word then the worship of the church has to come from the heart. And so it really is, he's getting down to the origins of these things. Where is it coming from? He's basically saying, uh, you guys are just going through the motions, aren't you? And we, we've all done that before. You ever, when you were a kid, did you ever like get, in, get in trouble, get in a fight or something, and your parents or teachers were like, they made you like apologize to the other kid? And you just, you said you were sorry, but you weren't sorry. You didn't mean it. We've all had to do that before. We've all given Christmas gifts that we didn't really, because it was Christmas and we had to, you know, you're obligated to do it. I'm not bitter or anything, but like we've all done that, right? It's like expected. Parents, you ever bought a toy for like some kid's birthday party that you get, you you don't know the kid. (laughs) Your kid didn't contribute financially to the toy. You don't know the parents, you don't know what you had, but you had to show up with something. We, all, we know what it's like, in other words, to give lip service 
to something, to, to engage in some sort of interactions or whatever, but we don't really mean it. We know what it's like for those two things to be separate, the heart and the action. And those examples, it's one thing, you know, it's, it's fine, but when it comes to worship, this is a, it's a tragedy if that is the case in our worship of the Lord. Notice what he, is, what he says here in verse 6. He doesn't just talk about lip service or being distracted or anything else. He says, the people honors, they honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. He's talking about nearness. He's not only saying that there's a disconnect, there's also a distance. That's That's terrible. It's not just a disconnect, there's a distance. And so the target is the inverse of what Isaiah said. So Isaiah says, the people honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. What we are going for is that our hearts are near to him, and that is from there we are honoring him with our lips. When we're singing or studying the word or praying or giving or any, any any of the acts of worship of the church, the idea is to be close to him And from there, these things happen. Let me encourage you with something. Isaiah doesn't say what kind of heart it has to be. Jesus doesn't offer that insight either. He doesn't say that your heart has to be, like you have to be the perfect Christian to be near to him. It seems that based on that or Psalm 51 places like that, that the humble and honest heart being near to God, that's what he wants. So in terms of a heart being far from him, think about dragging your heart in whatever condition it is near to him. And from that nearness, then you worship. Here's what I mean. You... In whatever condition your heart is in, it might be you might be joyful, you might be broken, you might be grieving, you might be hopeful, you might be hopeless, you might be wandering, you might be rebellious, you might be angry, you might be repentant, you might be grateful. Where, wherever you are, drag that condition near to him and sing and pray. And open the Bible. And live in community. This is an invitation to honesty, I think. That God does, he does not say, you've got to get your ducks in a row and get yourself figured out before you can come to me. He's like, no, come just like you are to me. Honor me with your lips, with a heart that's near to me. And even if you can't utter anything because you're, you're, so, you're in such a dark place, just be near to him. I think it's an invitation to just be honest with the Lord. He's rejecting the Pharisees because of their vanity, but also because of their refusal to be vulnerable and honest with themselves and with the Lord and with the people. And here Jesus is saying, hey, what a beautiful option. Honor me with your lips, no matter what condition your heart is in. Let that... Let those expressions just come from a place of vulnerability and transparency. He loves it. 
So we're always worshiping from what is true, whether it's the truth of God's word or the truthfulness of where we are in a given day, season, moment, whatever. But either way, God's, God welcomes us. He welcomes you. And so somewhere in this text, maybe he has something for you. Maybe, it's, maybe it was in a song lyric. Maybe it's in a conversation. I don't know. But God gathers the people for a reason. And a rainy Sunday morning after uh, Daylight Savings and LSU destruction, uh, if you're here, there's something. You came here for something. God has something for you. And so I would encourage you, no matter where your heart is right now, just draw near to him and from there express it to him. That's one reason why we give options and different ways to respond when we're together. Because for some it may be a song. For some it may be coming to kneel and pray. For some it may be giving. For some it may be receiving communion. Um, for some it may be like our ministers, a couple of us will be on the front row just, just being prayed for. Um, whatever your condition your heart is, is in though, God's, he's on board. He wants you near to him. And he doesn't say, you have to do this and this and this before you can come. He just says, come. So if you come for communion, this is the, you take the bread and you dip it in the juice and you take it. You're welcome in our communion line. But whatever, whatever's going on in your heart or your mind, we're going to do, do some songs and kind of just give, give room for all those motions, all those movements to happen. Uh, we're going to do more songs than we normally do. Uh, just with the, I don't know, with something like this, maybe just giving us a little more time to process our way through it. So I'm going to pray and, um, I'm, I'm going to, I'm not going to stand us up today. Like sometimes I'm going to stand and then the band comes in. I'm going to leave you seated, which may make it a little more, you might have to time your exit for communion or whatever a little bit differently. But, um, for some reason that was just in my, in my head of like, maybe, maybe just like sitting a little bit longer would be good with the Lord. So I'm going to pray. The band's going to come and then we're just going to roll through that and you just respond as you feel led. Let me pray for us. God, I'm so grateful that we are free from the traditions of man, from all these rules that uh, men and women got together and just kept stacking up and adding and adding and adding just getting further and further away from, from what you told us in the first place. And just, in general, just missing the point. I'm thankful that you have freed us from that. That you would come, Jesus, that you would come in person and correct that. And all these years later, we can gather and learn from it. I'm thankful that you have given us your word and from there, uh, everything that we need to know. And I'm thankful that you desire hearts to be near to you, no matter what condition they're in at the moment. And that there isn't any, isn't any lag time between uh, just for obedience, that you don't tell us to do this and this and this, you just tell us to come. And so I pray, Father, for every heart that's here, no matter what, no matter how we would describe our current condition. I pray that we would all hear you saying, just come. Come all who are weary and heavy laden. Help us know we can just draw near to you just like we are. You don't tell us we have to fix or change anything. You just want us to come and you take care of the change and the fixing from there.
So God, whether it's communion or prayer or any of these other options, help us to meet with you in these moments. Anything we have after this service is over with can wait. We got time, we got space. And so help us to just meet with you and to be honest with ourselves and with our community around us and with you. We thank you that you just beckon us to come. Pray this in your name. Amen. All right. So the communion tables are open. The steps are obviously open. Uh, Whatever you feel led to do, this is your time. And if you want to stand at any point and sing or do whatever, this is your, your time. We just encourage you to steward this well.